Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thank you so much for listening. My guest today is Lisa Dickey. Before we get to Lisa, I want to give a few announcements. One is that our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there. Check it out. See some stories that I've written, some of uh, some that our guests have written. Also, see photos of our guests, see links to their social media, and see links to our social media, which is, of course, Instagram, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram. Please follow us there. Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. And you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Also, there are links to Stitcher Radio, where you can subscribe, and iTunes, where you can subscribe. And if you're on iTunes, I ask this all the time, but please, if you can, give us a nice rating, because that boosts our presence, which helps more people find the show, and that's always a cool thing. So subscribe to all those things, give us a like, give us a follow, and I would appreciate it. I was very excited to meet our guest today, Lisa Dickey, because Lisa has written a book on Russia, which is something and I've talked about many times on this show with uh, other guests. And I admit I've never been there. And I have kind of a a skewed vision of what I think Russia is, uh, is about. Certainly, if you watch the internet and YouTube videos, you have a really skewed vision of what Russia is about, because always the craziest videos on YouTube... You just got to go, that's probably from Russia. And sure enough, it is. Don't know what's happening over there. But I admit I had some stereotypes about Russia and some ideas about the place, and I'd never been. And if you know me as a traveler, you know that I like to uh, see a place first before I pass judgment. <laughs> but for some reason, Russia, I passed tons of judgment before ever going there. So I was excited to talk to someone who's been there many times. And Lisa has written a book called Bears in the Streets, chronicling her three separate trips over three separate decades to Russia. She went there in 95, then again in 2005, and again in 2015. And she just documents how Russia has changed over the years. And as we all know, Russia very much in American news nowadays, so this couldn't be more timely. So I was really excited to talk to Lisa. We had a great conversation. It went on a little longer than most of our shows, uh, about an hour and a half conversation. But uh, I thought maybe of splitting it into two episodes or whatever, because some people have written and go, could you make the episode shorter? And I said, wait a minute, are you getting too much free entertainment? Do you not have the pause button or maybe you can stop it and listen to it in chunks or do whatever you want to do or just stop listening? I don't care. It's free. Who are these people that always complain about getting too much free entertainment nowadays? This is how spoiled we've become, folks. I give and I give and I give. <laughs> and uh, you complain that it's too much. Okay, there's my rant of the day. But I kept the conversation going and the recording going because, quite honestly, I was interested. And Lisa's a great communicator, as you will see. And she brought over a copy of her book, Bears in the Street, and I can't wait to read it. I will be going on a cruise. When this comes out, I will be on another cruise working in Mexico. Just a quick one. 
And that's the last one I have on the books for a while. So uh, I will be reading her book during my many, many hours of downtime, traveling and being on the ship. And you should check it out. There are links to all Lisa's sites on the TravelTalesPodcast.com. If you go to uh, under podcasts and see Lisa's story where you can hear this, there will also be links to where you can buy the book. Support your local author. And as someone who likes books, I say we keep that medium alive for as long as we can. You want to read it in digital form? That's your business. But don't ever stop reading, folks. And don't ever stop listening to the Travel Tales podcast. Please enjoy my conversation with Lisa Dickey. Lisa Dickey, author... What else? Nobody's just one thing in this town. So you're oh, really? author slash right. uh, what? Filmmaker? Author slash... Screenwriter? Actually, I was a ghostwriter for a long time. Ghostwriter? Yeah. Where? I was a ghostwriter. For? For lots of people. Lots of celebrities. I had some celebrity clients. I had some... some... So you would write speeches for them? Or, no, or no, like... books. Oh, okay. Books, yeah, I've been doing books for a long time. Collaborating with people. Can you drop names? Sure. I helped Herbie Hancock do his book. Interesting. I helped Gavin Newsom do his. Okay. I helped Patrick Swayze do his before he passed away, like in the like Rest four in or peace. five months before. Yeah, he was a really good dude, actually. Yeah. He was a really good guy. We're crazy for Swayze. You know? uh, yeah, crazy for Swayze, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, was, he was worthy of it. He was a very good guy. I know. It, just, yeah. it seems so sad. Yeah, he seemed like was, the healthiest guy. I know. He really was. He was always in such amazing shape. And wasn't he married to the same woman forever? 34 years, yep. Yep. She's still a good friend of mine. She's great. She's remarried now. She has a really lovely, oh, really? lovely husband, yeah. Oh, and the nice guys yeah. go. Yep. And the bastards keep living. <laughs> the um, so how did you go? We'll start uh, from the way back, and you're here. We have a new book. Yes, bears in the streets. Bears in the streets about Russia. Yep. So this is a uh, topic that always fascinates me because I have not been to Russia yet. It's on my list. Really? Oh, yes. Mike, you gotta go. I know it's on my list, but I've said this before on the show. It's not high on the list, and only because. And I'll, I'm fascinated by anywhere. Okay. And it seems like a, a fascinating place. It is. But uh, there's some things working against it. All right. What are those things? Uh, well, it's uh, the visa problems. Visa's a hassle. Hmm. Um, the weather sucks. The food is not my favorite. Um, you can't really do much about the food. The weather, if you go the right time of year, is beautiful. Well, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then um, it uh, tends to be really corrupt. Um, there is that. Seems to be a lot of uh, racism and homophobia. There is that, although I will say as, a, as an openly gay woman, I did travel across, across Russia and talk to people about that. So, okay, so and we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the Russians I've met on the road uh, seem to be really miserable people. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Am I wrong? You can stop me at any of those. And, no, and- you know, it's interesting that the last one that you said there is really interesting because I think for most Americans, that is their perception of... of muffin, what, uh, stop, sit, muffin, muffin, sit. Muffin wants to be involved I in know. the conversation. This is what I was afraid of. Uh, 
Yeah, I think most Americans have this perception, or many Americans, let's put it that way, have this perception of Russian people as being kind of miserable and not very friendly and not very nice. Because um, they don't smile ever? Right. Well, they don't smile at strangers for sure. Yeah, I had a friend who lived there who said if you smiled at a stranger, you were considered nuts or uh, Yes, it's, it's kind suspicious. of aggressive. But the interesting thing is, so I lived there for a while when I first moved there. Like the first time I lived there was in 1988, and I was 21, and I was so excited to be living in Russia. And I you know, got on the bus to go somewhere and I was looking at people and smiling and they were all looking at me like, what in the hell is wrong with this woman? And I was really stung by it. I was like, God, what's wrong with these people? They seem so miserable and unhappy. And then eventually I realized just that, like they don't waste time or spend time smiling at people they don't know. But once you know them or you're in their homes, they're the most incredibly generous and welcoming people. But the funny thing is, is like a few months into living there, I got on a bus again and like a girl smiled at me and I thought, what is wrong with you? Like, why are you smiling at me like this? And it had totally reversed. So you do get used to that because it is a little weird sometimes. Like if you think about it from a Russian's perspective, yeah. the fact that we Americans walk down the street and we're constantly going, hey, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? And we don't really mean it. And it was just, it's just this little exchange that we have. Yeah. Well, it's a cultural thing also. It's a cultural but I mean, thing, you go yeah. to Thailand and it's, they call it the land of smiles and everybody right. does smile. Yes. And it's kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> You yeah, know, it is so, kind of nice. Yeah, but, but it is – the interesting thing is like once you have any kind of tie with a Russian person – and by that I mean like – so I did this trip, right? And I I was trying to find from one town to the next, do you know anybody who lives in X town because that's my next destination? And somebody would say like, oh, I work with this guy whose cousin's you know, ex-fiance lives there. Let me make a call for you. And then just based on that tie, totally tenuous tie, I'd have people meeting me at the train station at 3 a.m. waving a little American flag <laughs> and being like – stay in our home and feeding me and you know whatever you need just let us know like they just were really incredibly generous to me on all the trips that I did well let's back it up to 88 okay so here you are you're 21 yeah uh, were you in college then? Or? I had just finished college. Okay. This is my first job out of college. Okay. And where, where did you go to school? I went to University of North Carolina. Chapel. North Carolina. The yeah. Tar Heels. Yeah, baby. Um, that's an awesome campus. It is a beautiful I've school. I've been down there. That's that. That's like one of those, like, oh, this would be fun to go it to school here. It is really, really beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so were you, were you from there? Or you, you moved around a lot? Uh, no, moved around a lot. I was, an, I was a Navy brat, so ah. I grew up all over the place. So the um, traveling thing started early sort of ingrained yeah sort of ingrained and actually like it's partly because of that that you know my interest in russia came about because we lit my so my dad was in the navy and so we moved around a lot and we moved ended up moving when i was nine years old to this navy base in southern spain this place called rota and and my mom got it in her head she heard about these spanish tours that you could take to the soviet union this was 1976 and she heard about these tours that you could take so she was 76. like, yeah. So what, had Franco just died? Is that? Uh, he was, no, I think he actually, I don't know. I'm not sure. I want to say 75, 76 is Something when he like, died. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure. It but, might've been earlier than that. So it was open for Spanish people to go to the Soviet Union. Yeah. So Spanish people would do these tours to the Soviet Union. And then my mom was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And there were some, I guess some other 
spouses on the base who were, you know, thought, oh, this would be so interesting. Let's all go. So she basically announced to my dad that she was going to go to the Soviet Union. So, but picture this, right? Like I'm nine years old. The one thing I know about the Russians is that they're the enemy and my dad yeah, is fighting that's them. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah, they're like, they're the bad guys. Your dad's guys. in the military. My dad's fighting them. And now my mom wants to go. And, and those are really our them. only bad guys around that time. Exactly. This is after Vietnam. So yes. the, the Cold War, that's all we got. So really. this totally blew my mind. Like, how does my mom want to go have vacation there if my dad's job is to fight them? What did your no dad sense. say about all this? He, I mean, she kind of presented it in a way where it was kind of like, I'm doing this. You'll take care of the kids for, you know, like a week and then, you know, I'll see you later. Well, you'd think with him in the military, they yeah. would even be more suspicious of you going. An American wife and sure. daughter of someone in the military. How'd you even... Oh, I didn't go. My mom went without us. She went? Yeah. My brother and I stayed so they didn't home think she my... was a spy or anything? Oh, I don't... Yeah, I don't <laughs> think so. I mean, I don't think they were too concerned about that. But actually, you know, my dad being in the Navy, he was not allowed to go over. Yeah, he, of course. He would not have been allowed to go. Um, so she was just like, all right, I'm going to go. So then my brother and I stayed home with my dad. And every day I was like, will I ever see my mother yeah, again? Oh my God, What's happening yeah. to my mother? And then she came back and she said, oh, Russia's fantastic. It was wonderful. I had such a great time. And so I really, like that literally was the seed where I thought, I don't understand how these people are simultaneously bad and good. Like, did, how can this be? Did she change your dad's mind at all on anything? No, I don't. I mean, I don't think my, you know, my dad was in the Navy, but it's not like he was a, some kind of big, like, I hate the Russians guy personally. You know, he right. just was, it was, his job was to do whatever his job was to do, which I actually don't even know for sure. Cause to this day he won't tell us exactly what he was doing. Ah. And yeah. So, I mean, I don't, so the whole thing is, is very cloak and dagger, I suppose. How long were you in Spain? Three years. Okay. Yeah, so we lived there three years. That's a pretty, from what, nine till... Yeah, nine till almost 12. Those are important years. Yeah, it was amazing. So they would take... So my parents basically said to their parents, our grandparents, we're not going to come home this whole three years. Whenever we have like the summers or vacation and stuff, we're going to put the kids in the Volkswagen and like drive all over Europe. So that's what we did. We just like literally, they would put... They had the tent, like the pup tent, and then this, you know, <laughs> the little sleeping bags, and they'd pack like you know Swiss Army knife, and we'd go and you know just like camp out all over Europe. Where, do you remember some of the places you went? Because this is yeah. still like you know the, when there was one Czechoslovakia, there was Yugoslavia. Well, we didn't. It was go. all we one. Yeah, you know, the Eastern could... Bloc nations were still there. West yeah, Berlin. But, uh, yeah, but we're not going to go. I mean, think about it though. My dad's in the Navy, right? We're not That's what I mean. I mean, we're not going to so... go to Eastern Europe for sure. It was I know. Western Europe. Yeah. I know, but. Uh, did you go like into Germany a lot and all that? Yeah, stuff? we went to Germany and Austria, and we went to you know um, a lot of France. We went and... to the Netherlands, and we went to Belgium and to France. And we went up to England, and we went to Italy. We went all over the place. Was that your first stretch overseas? Yeah. Like, yes. Okay. Yeah. So as a kid, mm-hmm. do you remember your first like impressions of being in a foreign country and what that meant to you, and did it change you in some way? Well, I was a super patriotic little kid. So my first thing was I was really upset that we were going to be out of the United States for the bicentennial, oh, which was yeah. in July of that 1976. Was I and I was like, I was so crushed by that. I was like, I can't believe we're not going to be in the America. The big party. Oh my God. <laughs> know, right? So I was really sad because I was this total little patriot, you know. It was a big deal. I remember yeah, the, it was the a bicentennial. Really big deal. So anyway, so we were in Spain for that. But I mean, it's a U.S. base. And so there was some picnic or something. And so did you go to like uh, army school on base? Yeah, Navy school. Yeah. Oh, a Navy school. Navy yeah. School, so, did yeah. you um, ever pick up Spanish? Or? No. So we had like for a half an hour a week, we would have host nation, like host language, you know. And <laughs> we had this, this. I still remember her name, Senora Fuentes, would come in. Oh, see. Si. And she would teach us Spanish for a half hour. So, of course, I know no Spanish at all. <laughs> like, yeah. 
So, and the only thing, literally the only thing I remember from that, from her teaching us was there was one day when she was teaching our class, my fifth grade class about like, you know, what do you call things in the house? And she was going through like sheets, pillows, whatever. And she wrote what she thought said sheets up on the board, but she wrote S-H-I-T-S and all of us giggled. <laughs> and this is like, this is what I remember from my right. Spanish, Spanish classes in the fifth grade. So so you came back to, to go to high school in the U.S.? Yeah. So we moved back when I was about to start eighth grade. Okay. I moved to Florida, Pensacola, Florida. Ooh. Yeah. That's, again, another uh, Navy town. Redneck Riviera, baby. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. Oh, I played uh, Tyndall Air Force Base down Did there. Did you? Oh, sure. Hey, all right. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and That's my parents still live there. there, yeah. So I went to high school there. Oh, That's you did? High. Yep. Okay. Yep. And then I went to college in North Carolina. You defected and I went defected. to North Carolina That's for college. Right. And I studied Russian because I thought, oh, I really want to like figure out what is this place about. So you were fascinated by it. I was fascinated by it. I really was. That's and amazing. so I got my degree in Russian language and literature. And then my first job out of college was I worked as a nanny for a family at the U.S. Embassy in Moscow. Wow. So I took care of this diplomat's kid. Um, and I lived there for like seven months, and it was in the Soviet era. It was like the Cold War was still going on. It was super. So paranoid. this is Reagan and the whole deal. It was actually uh, George George Bush, the first George Bush. Oh, okay. So like eighty eight, eighty nine. Yeah. 89, yeah. So oh, yeah, eighty eight, you went there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, but could you tell then that things in the Soviet Union were starting to? Crack a little, like loosen? Totally, yeah. I mean, definitely stuff was happening. There was glassness and there was perestroika. And actually, now that I think about it, I guess it was the tail end of Reagan. Because the election happened. Oh, yeah, the he election be, happened while I was there. So the election yeah, happened so, in November of 88 and George and H. 89, yeah. January of 89 right. is when he would come in. Right, exactly. So, yeah, so it was a little bit Reagan and then and then George H.W. Bush yeah. was there. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, you could definitely tell there was, you know, that the economy was really bad at that time and, and the, the Soviet people were kind of unhappy. And, uh, you know, with all the stuff that Gorbachev was doing, definitely the cracks were showing. And, and it was interesting because people started to get a little bit more of American culture at that time. There was more people were sort of exchanging videotapes of American TV and American movies and right. stuff. And there started to be Rambo. this infiltration. Yeah. <laughs> this infiltration of American culture. And I think there was a little bit of like, hey, how come we don't have these things? Or how come it seems like it's better over there? And so but I but I left in April of eighty nine. I actually took the Trans Siberian for the first time. I went on like six days nonstop to to Ulaanbaatar and then Beijing. Oh, wow. Moscow, which was pretty amazing. We just missed each other in Europe because I got out of school. In 89, I did my first trip. I did the whole URL pass thing. Oh, really? Out yeah. of uh, college. Yeah, yeah, like six weeks. And yeah. so that was the summer of 89. Yeah. I was there the last summer of the Berlin Wall. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And I yeah. stayed in West Berlin. I remember going through Checkpoint Charlie and all yeah. that. And I stayed with a guy there who grew up there. Yeah. And I said, do you think this wall's ever coming down? He goes, nah, I can't see it. Yeah. <laughs> Six months later, I'm watching TV well, just, like, and they're who, smashing it. Who knew, right? Yeah. And then all this stuff starts happening. So, so I go back to the states. The Soviet Union collapses. All of a sudden, like maybe you know, it my, was you. My yeah, right. I'm giving you my, credit. My, my, yeah, that's funny. Actually, my mom. You know, there was this period of time where everywhere I went, disasters happened. Like right after I left, I was in Armenia right before the big earthquake, and I was in Beijing just before Tiananmen Square happened. Wow. You just leave like, a trail of destruction. A trail of woe and destruction everywhere I go. Yes, that's exactly right. So, so you, yeah, so I come back to the states, and then the Soviet Union collapses, and then a couple of years later, I decide, oh, I I'm going to move to Russia. 
back to Russia and become, to start my writing career. I wanted to be a writer and I wasn't working as a writer. And I thought, oh, if I live in Russia, I can write feature articles and it'll be, you know, I had, was living in Washington DC at the time and it felt like there were so many writers there. Like I just had no idea how I could start a career. Well, could so, you do like journalism and be a correspondent back? Yeah. To, you know? So that, so that was the idea is that I'll move there. I had found this apartment, this guy that I knew had bought an apartment as an investment. Mm. And so he said for a hundred bucks a month, I could live in this apartment right in the center of St. Petersburg. And I thought, great, I'll just go and then I'll start writing articles and try to sell them to the Moscow Times. And the there was this little English language paper in St. Petersburg. So I started trying to do that. So I heard this about St. Petersburg. Yes. It's like almost like they talk about New York City. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, there's New York, then there's the rest of America. Like St. Petersburg and Moscow are kind of like yes. the most international cosmopolitan places. There's those two cities... And then there's the rest of Russia. Yes, I think that's true. So it's kind of like that they're yeah. more, more diverse yeah. and open kind of yeah. thing. So people ask me now, like since I've done this, you know, all these three trips that I've done, you know, they'll ask me, okay, well, what do people think about Putin? And I'll say, well, let me tell you what they think in most of the country because I think like Moscow, St. Petersburg are their own things in the same way that New York and D.C. are. Yeah. You can't really take New York and, and LA D.C. For- as a – yeah, yeah, and L.A., yeah. So you, you can't really take the biggest, most cosmopolitan <laughs> cities and, and say, right. like, this is what the American people think or this like, is what the Russian people think. Right. And if Russia had, like, red and blue states, those would probably be the blue areas. Yes. Yes. There <laughs> right. you go. Yeah. Um, so you go to St. Petersburg. So I go to St. Petersburg. I'm trying to become a writer. I'm having trouble getting anybody to, like, buy anything that I'm writing because I haven't been published anywhere. They're all like, well, until you've been published, we can't publish you, which is kind of ridiculous because there's no way out of it, right? So, right. so and then I, I was like working as a copy editor at that small English language paper and I saw they somebody had printed out an email that they had received that day and it was from this guy named Gary who was a photojournalist living in Paris. He said, oh. I want to do a whole big trip across Russia starting in Vladivostok, which is the way, way far southeastern tip. And it's going to be like three months. And I just want to meet a cross section of people and do a photo essay. And I need, and I want to take a writer and somebody who speaks Russian. So if you think that this is something you'd like to do, you know, contact me. And I, of course, was like, oh my God, like I would love to do that. I mean, the guy had raised money from like, you know, independent funding sources or whatever. So I emailed him and I said, dude, I really want to do this. I speak Russian. Like, let's, let's do this thing. And he had a couple of candidates and he ended up picking me. And he had said in his email, like, there's another part of what it is that I want to do, but I'll tell you about it. I'll tell the person that I choose, like when I when we're getting right. ready to go on the trip. Wait, so what year is this? This is 1995. 1995. Now, right? So there so, you have email, yes, which is have email, early days of email. Very early days of email. Most people didn't have it, and so this guy shows up and he says, "All right, here's my plan. I want to do a real time web travelogue across Russia." And I said, dude, you're insane. Like, first of all. First of all, 95, I would have said, what's a web travel log? Right? First of all. I mean, how are we supposed to get connected to the internet on this trip? That's completely nuts. And, you know, second of all, like, how are you, what are you, like, how are you going to do this with your pictures? Like, you're a professional photojournalist. How are you going to develop your photos and scan them and get them? And then he said, ooh, ooh, look at this. And he pulls out this giant apparatus like literally it's the size of two lunch boxes put together and he takes a picture of me and then he pops out this little diskette and he puts it in his laptop <laughs> I love and it. i'm like and and then my face comes up on the screen and i promise you not only had i never seen this technology <laughs> i did not even know that this was in the works like <laughs> yeah. i was digital so, camera 
dumbfounded by this. You this thought he was going to like build a dark room. That's what I couldn't figure <laughs> out. I was like, like, what are you, how are you planning to do this? Like you're nuts. If you think you can develop your photos on the road and then scan them and then somehow, but he had this prototype digital camera and he said to me, this, there's very few of these in existence. He knew somebody at Kodak who said, I'll let you take this camera. If you get, you know, wow. they were one of the sponsors of the trip. And so, and then he'd made this arrangement with Sprint because they were an early telecom company in Russia. And so we okay. like had this deal, but, but listen to this though, this is crazy. So the camera would take photos that were maybe like one megabyte, right? But he would have to shrink them down so tiny. He shrank each photograph down to 25 kilobytes, <laughs> which is so tiny. And then we would try to send like five or six or seven to these two guys in San Francisco who were our partners who would then put them up on the website. And it would take eight hours Why to did he... send like oh 200 kilobytes worth of photos. Why did he choose a blog rather than like making a book or, or something like that? Because he wanted to show what this technology would do. Oh. I mean, he was very much like, he's a, he's a brilliant photographer. His name is Gary Matoso and he runs something called Vignette Creative right now. And he is not only an amazing photographer, but he's so like, he's so forward thinking in terms of what is the next generation of technology that's coming down the pike and how is it going to affect photography. So his whole idea was, I'm going to take these beautiful pictures. We're going to put all this stuff up on the web as we go. And we did it. Like, it's so nuts. And you can actually still see that website. It's still up. If you Google my name, Lisa Dickey, and the Russian Chronicles, you'll see it. <laughs> and, the, and the most funny thing is that if you scroll down to the bottom of the homepage, it says, um, best viewed in Netscape 1.1N or higher. <laughs> <laughs> Netscape. Sure. Right? Netscape. Ah, memories. Yeah. So 95. So 1995, right. Oh, and what? by the way, I just want to say, I looked it up for the book. 14% of American households were online at all in 1995. Oh, yeah. I so think this in, was so unusual. This I think it, unusual. maybe I had gotten an AOL yeah. address uh -huh. by then, but that was most I had. Mm -hmm. that's, that's amazing. So 95, what were people asking you as an American? What was the vibe in Russia at the time? So the vibe in Russia at the time was... Because it's breaking apart. They've, lose, they've lost a lot of... Yeah. You know. So the Soviet Union has collapsed. The value of the ruble has plummeted. People, a lot of people have seen their life savings disappear. And there's a real sense of unease and, and uncertainty about what's going to happen next. Like, okay, now we're Russia. Now we're, in theory, at least a democracy. And in theory, we're a free market. But we don't know what each next day will bring. We don't know how much, you know the ruble's going to be worth. We don't know whether or not, you know, we'll be afford to, you know, be able to afford to buy things in the stores. And people were pretty freaked out. And Boris Yeltsin was the president and he was kind of, he had started off strong. Uh, and then over time, over that whole decade, he just got more and more ridiculous in a yeah. lot of ways. He drank a lot. Drunk. He, I was yeah, gonna say. He, he drank a lot. He embarrassed himself on overseas trips, you know, to, to meet with other foreign leaders. And it, it was just, it was not a great time for Russians at all. People were pretty freaked out. So we did this trip. You know, we started with Vladivostok. Uh, this Gary wanted to start with this lighthouse at the edge of the earth in Vladivostok. Is it still called that Vladivostok? Yeah, it's still called Vladivostok. Okay, that's, so that's way on the way, east coast way, way over. by Alaska, right? Or like? No, it's farther south than that. So it's actually about forty miles from North Korea. Oh, right. Okay. So and then you go if you go right across the water there, you're in Japan. So it's very yes. close to Japan, China, okay. and Korea, like very far. Big that shipping way. port. I'm yes, guessing. it's a warm water port. And so they so it actually a for navy. A long time, I'm sure. Yeah, for a long time it was a military, big military place for Russia, and it was actually closed to foreigners for years and years. Yeah. And so so we start with this lighthouse. 
and interview the couple that is the caretakers for the lighthouse. And they were super nervous about having Americans poke around, you know, because it's a military installation. <laughs> sure. And um, But they eventually, you know, they had us into their house and they fed us and they answered our questions and let us take pictures and stuff. And then we just started moving west. We went to this place called Biravijan, which had been set up by Joseph Stalin in the 1920s as a quote-unquote Jewish homeland. But basically it was his excuse for saying – Shipping them out? Yeah, basically saying, we'll pay you X number of rubles if you take your family and go on this you know, six-day right. train trip or 10-day train trip or whatever. You. Yeah, so they sent them way out, you know, very, very far from European Russia. So, And there's still a Jewish community there, although in 1995 it was very small. There was no rabbi. There was no real synagogue in use. Um, and so then continued on from there. I went to this town called Chita and interviewed people there and then went on to this place called Ulan Ude, which has the largest Lenin head in the world. Oh, good. Way. I was yeah, wondering where that was. Giant. It's like 41 <laughs> tons. It's so huge. It's just his head? Just his head okay. on the square. Yeah. Giant, giant Lenin head. Bigger than, one, than the one on La Brea with the acrobat on oh top of Oh, my God. Way bigger than that one. Although that one's pretty big, too. <laughs> That's a big That head. is an impressive Lenin head. Yeah, I, I know. Have to say. In an odd place. In a very odd place, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I went to Ulan Ude and then we went out into, that's in Buryatia, the Buryat Autonomous Republic, which is one of several ethnic enclaves within Russia. And we went out and hung out with this farmer and he like slaughtered a sheep for us in our honor and the manner wow. of Genghis Khan, which sure. was kind of incredible. Are they speaking a different dialect there? Different uh, they do. They speak Buryat there, but they all speak Russian too, because you, you, know, you have education, to. Yeah, you yeah. have to basically. And so then we went out on Lake Baikal with a bunch of research scientists who study the lake. We went on an expedition with them. And then we went to um, Novosibirsk and we interviewed a group of gay friends there because um, we wanted to do a story about gay life in Russia. And then we went to um, Chelyabinsk and interviewed a family there in Kazan and interviewed the mother of a soldier who died in Chechnya because in, in 1995, Chechnya was the big story. Oh, right. And right. then we went to Moscow. And we interviewed a rap star named MC Pavlov. <laughs> Uh, and then we I got all his albums, sure. Yeah. When did what year was Chernobyl? Chernobyl was nineteen eighty. God, uh, like eighty six or something. I think. Was it that long ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Oh my the, gosh. It was in like the mid eighties, I think, okay. or maybe even the early eighties. So you said by this time you were you were out and open. Well, and, not so much in nineteen ninety five. I wasn't. Okay. Yeah. Because. Well, just because a it personal was like, thing, or because yeah. of the way Russia was. Um, kind of both. Uh, I, at that point, you know, I was 28 and I was single and it wasn't like, you know, there just wasn't really any reason to bring that up. I didn't want to have any trouble if there was going to be trouble. And so I just thought, yeah, you know, like, who cares? This isn't really about me telling all the Russians about myself. Right. I'm asking them questions about themselves. So I didn't really say anything. But that was an angle of what your, your story was. I mean, you said that you were trying to find the, you met with, the. Uh, in Novosibirsk. Yeah. Yeah, I met with a, we met with a group of, I told those guys because, I mean, who cares? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but that wasn't like the, the crux of your article or your story, your blog or your writing no, at that time. Oh my God, no, not at okay. all. No, no, this was Gary's idea. This was like Gary's baby where he's like, I have this amazing prototype digital camera. Okay. We're going to do this. We're going to go across the country and do this photo thing. So were you writing along wrote, the way or were you just... I was also writing along the way. Okay. Yeah. So I wrote about all of these various people, but... But the but being gay had nothing to do with that first trip. Okay. Well, yeah. what, what was the scene like in this little town that you went to? In Novosibirsk? Yeah. Well, Novosibirsk is actually the third largest city in, in Russia. So it's not a small town. It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty big. Um, but, you know, for them, it was kind of like they knew a bunch of gay people themselves and they all hung out together, but they weren't really out and, and loud about it, understandably. 
Um, but yeah, they let us cover them and take photos and, you know, I mean, one of the things is, is that, you know, people would say, well, who are you writing this for? And we would say, well, there's this thing called the internet and you plug in your computer to whatever. <laughs> what? And they were all like, all right, that makes no sense to me. I don't care. Like, write what you <laughs> right, want. Right. One woman actually said to us, she's like, well, Russians will never figure that out. So yeah, go ahead and write what you want. <laughs> because it just seemed like this insane thing, right? Like I had one guy get really angry with me in Chelyabinsk, this older guy, where he just kept saying, he was like, I don't understand. Just tell me who you write for. Because he wanted, he was thinking like, Washington Post or like New York Times or whatever. And I would just say like, no, really, it's this thing where anybody can see it if they do this thing with their computer and their phone lines and you <laughs> dial up and then and he just got really mad at me because he just thought I was making stuff up. Yeah, I must just want to make up a story. Just pick, pick some paper. The yeah. Phoenix, uh, whatever. The I Phoenix know. Sun and then, yeah. you know, we're done. And I felt bad because he really, you know, he was really mad. And I said, listen, I promise you in a couple of years, you will have heard of this. And it's just, <laughs> it's just a very early stages and then I can't remember, I don't, for, for some reason, like we couldn't really show them. I, I seem to recall like when Gary and I would try to look at the website, like we couldn't load it. Like the internet was so poor. The dial-up connections that we were looking at was so poor. We never actually saw our own website until the end. Oh, wow. Yeah. So did two Americans going across Russia, did this draw any interest from the police or only authorities? In one, only in one town. In one town it did. It was in Birabijan, actually. I guess some neighbor of the people who were putting us up said to the police, there's a couple of foreigners staying here and or a couple of Americans and we don't know what, what they're doing or why they're here. So they came poking around and then the people who we were staying with got freaked out and said, you guys got to get out of here. <laughs> and so then we were just like, oh my God, where are we going to go? And Birby John's a really small town and we didn't know where we were going to go. And just by chance, we had actually met an American missionary and his family the day before in a restaurant and they had given us their card. And so we actually went to them and we were like, Hey, do you guys mind? <laughs> like we didn't tell them we were on the run from the law. Uh-huh. We were just like, Hey, do you guys mind if we spend a night here before we're going to head out, you know, tomorrow. <laughs> and so they put us up that they were like, you guys are not married. So you have to be in separate bedrooms. And oh, we're wow. like, That's fine. That's like, we're totally good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you, you're making your way across. How long was this whole trip? So the whole thing was almost three months. Three months. Yeah. Wow. It was like September 1st to the end of November. And what did you learn? What was, what was, what do you most remember about that trip that you didn't know before it started about Russia and the people? I mean, you know, I just, I think I was surprised at the extent to which people were willing to take us in. I mean, we were total strangers to these people. You know what I mean? Like we're just a couple of Americans with these big old backpacks and all of this weird equipment just showing up like and saying, hey, like, do you mind if we talk to you? Do you mind if we whatever? And and people were just unbelievably gracious. They just were so welcoming. I mean, we had one situation where when we were in Ulan Ude and we wanted to meet a farmer and how are we going to meet a farmer, right? So we talked to this one woman who's like was a journalist and she said, oh, I know a guy, this woman who lives in this town. It's like a three-hour bus trip away. Here, let me write a letter and you take it to her. And she wrote a letter in Briat language, which of course we had no, like, right. I have no idea what this letter says. <laughs> so I asked her to translate it for me and she did. And it basically said, hi, here's a couple of American travelers. Can you look out for them? And they'd like to meet a farmer. Can you take care of them? So like no phone calls or nothing, right? Like we just get on this bus and then we show up in this village and we had said to the woman, well, what's her actual street address? And she's like, I don't know. Just tell people there. It's a small village. Everybody knows her. So sure enough, we get off, we see this one guy and he's like, you know, he's like, oh yeah, she's down this, this little rutted road or whatever, like go. And so we go and we like shout over the fence 
hey, we have a letter for you. And they're like, come in. So we give this woman this letter. She reads it and she starts laughing. And she looks at us and she says, are you really Americans? And we're like, yeah. And she says, you are the first foreigners I have ever met. Wow. And then she said, except for Mongolians, but they don't count. (laughs) 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 Because they're really similar, the brands of Mongolians. So, yeah. (laughs) So, but then she was like, took us in her car and drove us down the road to this other village and went, you know, brought us to this farmer and was like, hey, can you like take care of these two Americans? And there we are with like, again, like all this weird equipment and all these wires and all this stuff. And we're constantly looking at our laptops and doing all this stuff. And then the farmer's like, yeah, great. And then he does this whole like ceremonial slaughtering of the sheep and (laughs) this huge feast and all this vodka. And, but it was like that all the way across. Like people were just unbelievably generous. Well, I have to think you, especially at that time, you were the first American most, most of them had met. Yeah. Um, What were the most common questions they asked you? What did they want to know? Oh, interesting. Like thinking back to 1995, I guess, you know, it's funny because again, like people had started watching American movies and American television. And I think probably people like they wanted to know, like, is that what it's really like? Like, is it really like that there? Do the supermarkets really look like that? Is it really, you know, one of the things that people found incredible was, you know, you could literally just move anywhere you wanted to in the States, right? Like I would say, oh yeah, I could just pack all my stuff up in my car and drive to another city and find a place to rent and like, who cares? And that was just not a thing that Russians did, you know, like it, first of all, it wasn't legal to do it during the Soviet era. You'd have to have permission and a, and a, you know, special paperwork to move somewhere and live in a new place. But also and in so, a lot of cultures, you don't want to, you, you, the thought of leaving your family right. is, you know, So they were really radical. surprised by that. I was like, oh yeah, I live like miles and miles away from where my parents live. They live in Florida and I live in Washington, D.C. And like, why do you live in Washington, D.C.? Well, because I felt like it, like I just moved there. <laughs> well, what do you mean you just moved there? And I was like, well, yeah, that's how it works. So back then, I mean, of course now it's a lot easier for Russians to move around. But not that they do it tremendously more, I don't think, except Mm -hmm. for the usual moving from rural areas into the cities, um, which I think happens everywhere. Were you treated different as a woman? I mean, was the man treated different? I mean, was Um, it very patriarchal, like macho society? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a, a, a fair degree of sexism there. I didn't really experience it, I have to say. But it was interesting, like when they did the whole sheep slaughtering thing and they had the feast and everything, I was the only woman at the table. The other, the Buryat women were not invited to sit at the table, which right. was a little, which was a little weird, you know, <laughs> like that definitely felt weird to me. So you go there, you do this trip for three months. Yeah. Do you go back to the state? You go back to Washington then? Or? Yeah. And so, well, actually at the time I was living in Petersburg. You know, I was trying to, you know, I had moved there in 1994, again, to become a writer and nobody would buy anything. And then I do this trip with Gary for three months and suddenly I have all these stories. And so I start selling stories about, you know, from the travels to the Moscow Times. And then I got a full-time gig at the Moscow Times. And so I did that for, and then I actually left Russia in the end of 1996 and moved back to DC and started a writing career, like working as a ghostwriter and helping people do books. And then like nine years later in 2004, I called Gary and I said, hey, let's go back and do that trip again. That was really cool. Like, let's go see how everybody's doing. And Gary got really excited about it. But ultimately, like we had a lot of trouble raising money for it. And he just said, look, I can't afford to take three months off if we're not, if it's going to cost us money, basically. Mm -hmm. And I said, all right, well, I wish you could come, but I'm going to go anyway. And I got this other photographer, this guy named David Hilligus, and he and I went across the country and literally just like knocking on people's doors and saying, hey, I'm back. How are you doing? Because <laughs> I hadn't been in touch with any of them. 
You just had like their addresses and some memories of where they were? Written down in this little spiral notebook that I had (laughs) kept was telephone numbers and addresses. And, you know, some of them I called. Some of them we just dropped in on. So now you were in, what, 2005? So 2005. So 10 years later. Yeah. um, Do they all have email addresses now? I mean, is it easier? Yeah, so most of them did. But, of course, I didn't know their email addresses. So I would have to come find them. And then after that, after the end of that trip, then I would get people's email addresses and say, okay, well, maybe I'll be back in 10 years. Maybe I'll see you again. You know? right. and, and a lot had changed in Russia. I That's mean, what I mean. That's what I want to ask like, you about. So in yeah. 10 years, so what's happened now? So this in, is post-9-11. So, it, so remember, yeah. So it's post-9-11. So remember is Putin that, in and, now? Yes. By that point already? Right? So in 1995, it was Boris Yeltsin. The economy was in a, just a wreck. And people were really freaked out. So then in 2005, I come back. The price of oil has risen, has tripled between 1995 and 2005. And Russia is very much an oil-based economy. And so suddenly there's all this money around. And there's like, you know, it's tripling down from... And freedom to spend it. Yeah. And so people are... So people have credit cards. They didn't have credit cards before. They traveled abroad. Turkey is a very favorite destination. And Thailand, a very favorite destination. Yeah. Well, some have even probably been to America at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In 2005, people had started to, you know, to travel more. They, They were... It was just... It was just a completely different feel... Um, than there had been in 1995. It felt like in the mid-90s, it was just really chaotic. Uh, and then by 2005, it had it had calmed down a lot. And the ruble was strong. And, you know, people seemed to be doing much, much better than they had been before. There was only one person that I talked to that was not doing as well materially um, as in 1995. Did you talk to, did you notice like a lot of more stores and products available yeah, and, there was, and things yeah, like that? Yeah, it was really something like in Chita, our story, it was the you know third or fourth city. Our story had been just walking down the main street, which was Lenin Street, and just writing and taking photographs about what we saw. And the difference between 1995 and 2005 was incredible because there's all these new stores and they're selling like, there's like boutique stores selling like fancy <laughs> baskets and stuff like that. And you just wouldn't have really seen that before, you know, mm-hmm. and it was spruced up and there was landscaping now and the potholes had been fixed. And, you know, it's not like it was perfect, but it was really like, and, and the thing that's interesting that I want to say is like, when these things happen gradually over time, it's difficult to notice them. And that's why this trip that I've done three times, I don't go to Russia in between these trips. Mm -hmm. So everything I'm seeing is really fresh. Like, I, I could see very plainly the difference in these cities between 1995 and 2005. It was absolutely plain, you know, because I didn't ha- I hadn't been there before. And it, so there was no like, oh, was this how was this, though, in like 1998 or 2000 or whatever? Um, so so it was uh, it was a very different feel. So things are booming. There's a lot of pride. Yeah. Then there's, you know, and Putin is I mean, look, there's it's funny because I will say to people, oh, yeah, like Russians really do like Putin. And everybody's like, well, why? And I mean, the short answer is because things are a lot better there under him than they had been. Mm -hmm. You know, certainly he's brought some stability to the country that wasn't there before. I mean, right now, like the, you know, the ruble has fallen again. And so they're not doing great. The price of oil has fallen. The sanctions have had their effect. But people also don't blame Putin for that. They blame us for that. So the difference then between 2005 and 2015 is the economy has gotten worse and people have there, – there are a but lot more – The oil more, prices crashed. Yes. And there's a lot more pro-Russia sentiment among Russians, meaning they're very quick to blame us for what their troubles are rather than to blame their, their own government. Right. 
And they're very pro-Putin in part because he has brought some stability, but also because he has shut down all the opposition journalism, or not all of it, but most of it. And so they don't really hear about some of the things that he does. They don't get two sides to that story. How much in terms of uh, control of the media in papers and in TV, is it going through everything has to be approved by the government? I mean, or? I don't know exactly how it works. I but just, if you go I against them, you've taken, your, you've taken a big risk. Well, I think I think the short answer is, is particularly where television is concerned, that the independent channels got shut down one by one. And so now it's generally known that they're, you know, under the control of the Kremlin, um, the main television stations. And so you do, you just get this. It's, I liken it to if you're watching Fox News 24-7 and there's nothing else, you, there's not any other thing that you're watching, yeah. you know. Um, and so people have these ideas about how – the world is set up or what kind of person Barack Obama is, for example, like mm. when I was on my trip in 2015, you know, people would say, Oh my God, Barack Obama. Like he's like, it's unbelievable to me that you could ever have such a horrible, weak, terrible, lying person as your president. Yeah. And it was, and black and it was to boot. No, but you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, there's that's odd certainly... to a lot of the world. That's cause that's never happened. Like, uh, you know, in a majority white country, yeah. There's never been an elected uh, black leader. So it was e- extremely unique in well, that way. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, not, that's just not the weird. idea of it was very, I mean, I'm not saying it, they thought it was bad, but it was really odd. You know, it's, it's very unique. Yeah, but they didn't, that, well, I will just say in my experience, that's not what they brought up. That's not what they were talking about. I, I'm not going to deny that there's racism there, just like there's racism, you know, here. Oh, no, of course. Everywhere. But when people were talking to me about him, that was not what they mentioned because they also disliked Hillary Clinton with equal fervor, you know, and you could argue that, well, he's black and she's a woman, but I don't think it's about that. I think it's about, you know, there's a perception in Russia that the Democratic leaders are worse for Russia than the Republican leaders are. And a couple of people like who were just really vehement about you know, oh, God, you know, Hillary Clinton, God forbid she should be elected. And so I finally said, you know, well, who among our presidents do you respect or did you think was a good leader? And they were like Ronald Reagan, which really surprised me. Yeah, because the the cold, I think my friend who lived there mm-hmm. said that uh, in terms of the men, that there's this, the men have to be tough, like very masculine, mm-hmm. like uh, sensitive men or <laughs> it's like... Pro women men are are seen as kind of like weak in a way. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like a macho kind of culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got that vibe when he was when he was there. And I don't know. He and he got that a lot from uh, the women. Told him that too. Mm-hmm. It's like all the men here have to be men, you know. Mm-hmm. So they then they sent him to camps to be learn how to be men and toughen them up. Really, yeah. um, as kids, you uh-huh. know, almost like extreme Boy Scouts or something. You know, yeah. the sensitive guys seen yeah. as kind of weak. Yeah. And so I'm not surprised that they seem to respond to... I mean, they definitely like, to... like, look, I mean, you know, Putin is a black belt in karate, right? Like, right. He's and like, he's got to have a shirt off in every the, photo. He's stud, and, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> taking on the horse with his uh, right-hand man right? there. Yeah. yeah. Chopping wood yeah. all the time. Yep. And then Reagan would have to be in his cowboy hat and, mm-hmm. you know, on a ranch, even though he was an actor. People, people, <laughs> like, people like their strong men. They do. Well, and George W. Bush, same deal, right? Well, he's always yeah, clearing, put on a flight clearing suit, brush, clearing brush, clearing brush out at the uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember him wearing There's a lot his... of brush <laughs> at his ranch. Yeah. So from '05 to '15, mm-hmm. you said, I mean, other than the economy, the most noticeable change amongst the people. 
Just, uh, I would say, other than the economy... Um, Did Crimea happen by yeah, this time? Yes, yes. And I talked with a lot of people about that. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of anti-American sentiment. There were a lot of people saying, you know... I mean, I remember in 1995, people saying, like, wow, America, this is like, you know, I want to go visit your country someday. It seems so interesting. It seems, you know... And, and like, friendship was breaking out all over, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we'd had 70 years of the Soviet Union versus the United States. And then suddenly it was like, oh no, now here, here we have like friendships breaking out. But in 2015, we're getting back more toward the feeling that we had in the Cold War, where it's like us versus them. You know, there's definitely not, it's not a friendly vibe between our countries right now, that's for sure. Well, as, now as, uh, with the Trump thing and the election, right? have you, I mean, Russia's very much on uh, in the news and everything else. Yes. So have people come to you? I'm sure people ask you on your opinions on this whole thing all the time with the election and yeah. whether the tampering and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. What is your opinion on that and what do you know? <laughs> what do I know? Tell us what you know. I know what I've read in the papers. I got I mean, the light look, on your face. I think it's pretty clear that the, that the Russians want, and by that I mean the government, wanted Trump over sure. Hillary Clinton. I think that's pretty clear. I think it's pretty clear that there was some tampering involved with the emails and the and the way that they were released. Um, I, I think the question is, is how much did that really end up swaying the election? I don't know the answer to that. Um, but I think it's pretty clear that that happened. Um, and I don't I, – I, what I can't figure out is I can't figure out what the relationship is between Trump and, and Russia. I can't figure out why Trump is so – and and the rest of the Republicans also, why they're so reluctant to say, like, yes, we should investigate this or we should see what this is all about. I, think- I have to think because they have – it's got to be money and a lot of them, they don't want us to know just how many how – they've been doing business with Russia for years. Yeah. And I don't think they want us to know how much money they yeah. have invested there. And so I do think if the tax returns were released, that uh-huh. would answer a lot of questions. And that's the big. I think that's what he's most afraid of. I, I, and a, I, two yeah. things. One, he doesn't want us to know how many, how much business he's actually done over there. Mm-hmm. And two, that maybe he's not as rich as he likes to say he is. But I mean, the thing is, like, <laughs> and, honestly, and his ego wouldn't wouldn't li- would not like it, it to, just to know that. I think it would show just how much debt he has, or whatever it is. Yeah, and that would be a blow to his ego. Yeah, and I think those two things. That's why I would want to see his tax returns, just to know. I think that's why most people, they just want to know, how invested are you in Saudi Arabia? And how invested are you in our so-called enemy states? Because we know he has oil ties there. I mean, mean, it's hard not to. And in the construction business, we're finding out that the the steel from the pipeline is already coming from Russia when he said it wouldn't. So that kind of thing, I think that's why. It's a basic Watergate, follow the money kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I will say that, you know, on this third trip, I did not ask anybody about Trump because I didn't think that he was going to get the nomination, much less win. In 2015, I was in Europe and I was a- answering Trump questions then. They're like, what's going on over there? I go, ah, it's early. Don't, <laughs> it's yeah. two years away. It's no, yeah. Yeah. And then this last summer, they're like, no, seriously, what's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's happening? Yeah. And now I, I just came back from. Australia, and oh my God, if one yeah. more person asked me about him, I'm just like, <laughs> I can't yeah. take it anymore. Yeah. I'm going to start sewing Amer- Canadian flags on everything I own. Yeah, seriously. Just so people don't ask me. Yeah. Because it's a big story. You know, our allies can't believe it. Yeah. Um, and Western Europe, you know, this is like, a, I told people, this is a part of a wave that's been happening across Europe for years. Yeah. You know, Hungary elected a really right wing kind of government. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and uh, I think. 
Croatia had now has started to, you know, it's, it's creeping across yeah. and a lot of it's anti-immigrant and refugee stuff. How are they handling? I mean, I, I, I guess Syrians aren't running into Russia or are they? Or they're stopped at the border. I don't think anybody runs all that much into Russia, I know. really. Like, it's not a place where, you know, I think most people have the same notion about what Russia is. Like, it's cold, and it's, you know, not that easy to live there. And I don't yeah. think, you know, it's not a place where, where historically there have been tons of people trying to get into. Would you want to go, I mean, did you have plans for another book to go back? Or I mean, I want to go back and do the trip again in 2025, because it's going to be fascinating to see, right? Like, I just, now I'm just addicted to it. I love going to see these people. I am actually now Facebook friends with a lot of them. I'm in touch with a lot of them. I email with them. You know, like I have relationships with them that can be continued even though I'm not there. I mean, after the first trip, I thought, well, I'll probably never see any of these people again, because why would I, right? And so then after the second trip, I had some email addresses, but not everybody had email. Now I could be in touch with everybody so easily. And and two, like, it's funny to think about, you know, I was talking about doing the website on that first trip and how difficult it was to upload the photographs and mm-hmm. how, like, complicated the whole entire thing was. And now I would just, like, FaceTime with people, like, no problem at all. I'd be standing on a boat and, like, by call FaceTiming. It's just nuts to be yeah. able to do that. And so, because the technology, I think, is a big part of how interesting this all is. And who knows what there's going to be in 2025 in terms of, I mean, you know, now we've got the snap glasses, right? Where yeah, it's like yeah. You're, which is essentially Google Glass, right? Remade. It's like the same thing, right? Yeah. But everybody hated it from Google and now they love it from Snap. <laughs> I this I don't get. Is, um, well, I think the Snap, don't they just take photos? No, I think Wasn't Google Glass too. was a whole thing? No, I think they do video too. Thing, like, I think the you... whole point, like, but see, now, now how they're marketing it is, right? They're saying, like, oh, so this is so if you're at a concert or whatever, not everybody's holding up their phones and distracting everybody. You can just tap your glasses and isn't mm-hmm. that wonderful? So now all the people who, you know, five years ago were like, ugh, Google Glass, like, you might as well just tape a camera to your forehead. Yeah. Now they're all like, oh, this is great. Like, this is like, <laughs> yeah. this is fabulous. What about the social aspect of uh, Russia, like, in terms of, Music and, and, and TV and, and movies and what's going on there and what's, what's hot now? You know, they watch a lot of American television. Um, the Big Bang Theory is very popular. <laughs> and I had so many people ask me, like, oh, have you ever watched The Big Bang Theory? And I've, li- I've never seen an episode of that show. I've heard it's great, but I just don't, you know, it's just I not my thing. I that one. But well, it's been on yeah, a lot. Yeah, but they love it. And then people had watched Friends. Like, they've seen all the oh, episodes yeah, yeah. of Friends. And so, you know, and then they would say to me, like, oh, well, what Russian TV shows or movies are popular in America? And, of course, there um, aren't any. Yeah. Yeah, there aren't any. But it's not just Russia. It's not like we watch French TV shows or no, Italian no, we're TV just, shows. I mean, we watch American We have stuff, no shortage right? of uh, entertainment. It's like our, I guess, our second biggest export, really. Yeah. Entertainment. After so, like software, <laughs> I will say this: I went when I was in Novosibirsk. I went to go see. Um, I went to go to the movies with this guy one night because we didn't have anything else to do. And I was like, "Oh, let's go to the movies." And so we went to see The Martian. Okay, that was out then, right? Sure, Matt Damon. So yeah, so and I'm thinking, okay, like this. Is, I just read the book, and so I knew everything that happened, and I thought this will be really interesting. I can't wait to hear what he thinks about the movie because I figured he would say like, oh, good old American ingenuity. Like, yeah. he's, you know, rah-rah, Matt Damon, square-jawed American hero, <laughs> basically, right? Was but it subtitled no. or dubbed? Uh, it was subtitled. Okay. So I don't know if you remember, but there's a plot point where Matt Damon is stranded on Mars and they try to send a rocket up and it fails. And so then they, they need to ask another country for help to get up to Mars. Do you remember this? Do you remember yeah. who they asked? Did they ask Russia? No. Or China. China. They asked the Chinese. Chinese. That's right. And that's afterwards. I asked my friend what he thought about the movie. And he went, he was like, he was so insulted that the plot point was that he's like, 
really the Americans would ask the Chinese for help? No, of course they would ask the Russians. <laughs> this is just propaganda. This is your government meddling and like the filmmakers just to stick it to Russia. That's ridiculous. Everybody knows that the Russians have the best space program. And he went on and on. And and it was really interesting to me because it, it, it did – sort of highlight this feeling that I think he Russians took offense. have. Yeah. He did. And so that we and, that we thought of them as like they don't have the yes, technology that, and that like the third actually, world. So the title of my book is Bears in the Streets and it speaks to that because the second day of my this third trip, a woman said to me, Oh, Americans all think that in Russia we just have bears wandering around in the streets. <laughs> and I thought it was funny, right? I laughed too because I was like, oh that's funny. I said, well I don't think we really think that, but okay. And then a week later, in another city, somebody else said the exact same thing to me. And by the time my trip was finished, in six different cities, six different people had said to me, told, informed me that Americans think that Russians have bears wandering around in the streets. But does that come out of their, their bubble of, their, of media, that that's what they've been told that we think about them? Or okay, do you think we really think I that? I guess. No, I don't because think Because I really think really the bears think are probably just riding bicycles like, uh, in the yeah, circus. Exactly. Yeah, so I don't think we really think that. But, and so I had to figure it out. Like, why do they keep saying this? And I think what it is, is they don't think we respect them enough. They don't think that we see them as a, an advanced and developed culture mm -hmm. for lack of a better phrase. You know, I, I think that it's uh they have a real chip on their shoulder. I mean, look, if you think about it for post-World War II, for 40 years, it was the Americans and the Russians were the two superpowers, right? And then the Soviet Union collapses and suddenly nobody cares what Russia has to say about anything because they're very weak. Their their economy has collapsed. They've lost all of these other right. Now that I so heard. nobody and, cared. And right? so that's why, you know, when a guy like Putin comes along and says we're gonna be strong again. Make a, make Russia great it's again. Pride. You know, make, it gave make Russia them great again. Pride. Yes. You know what I mean? He did. For, and that's why for they a good love him. Ten year stretch, they didn't have any pride. That's a big reason why they love him. And it also is like they they do they feel like, all right, so you guys have dissed us for a long time, yeah. but you're going to see like we are, we matter. And I, I mean, I guarantee you we're talking about Russia every single day now, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that's Putin's doing. What are their thoughts on China? I mean, I think they have a, a complicated relationship with China because there's, there's so much more travel now between the two countries and people in Russia will often, especially particularly people who live near the border, will like pop down into China to buy furniture or to buy cars or to buy whatever, you know, because it's just a lot cheaper to go mm -hmm. and do it there. Um, stuff that's manufactured in China is really cheap. And so Russians are buying a lot of stuff from China and bringing it back. Similarly, there's a lot of Chinese who come across the border and set up markets and stalls and stuff in the cities along the southern border there. Um, and so I think they're glad for that and they're happy to go and they're happy to have it a little more open than it was. But at the same time, it's also weird, right? Because they're not really manufacturing a whole lot of stuff in Russia. And so then the fact that they're like money's flowing out into China for all these goods and services and stuff, I think is, I think they have a very com complicated relationship. When I went through Croatia and some of these old and, and, and Czech Republic, mm -hmm. some of the old Eastern Bloc countries. Yeah, I was, I was kind of surprised uh, how many older folks that I met mm -hmm. who were kind of nostalgic for the totally uh, nostalgic. communist days yes. because they knew they were taken care of. And, and, and you have to, you know, we never had to worry about uh, our apartment or making our rent or where we we're going to live or our health care or going to school and stuff. Now we have to save money for all that stuff. And uh, and it was interesting to talk to them. And also, they you know bought into a system mm -hmm. that one day they wake up and it's like hey, it's over. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Wait a minute. I just lived 40 years under that. No, people, that was the like, deal. Yeah, we were going to pay spent this. their whole lives building yeah. this, what they thought was this ideal. And I think a lot of people did see it as that. And did, even, even like young people, even in 1995, I had these two young women where one of them was like, I really miss those days when it was like everybody was fighting for the same thing and we were all in it together. And now it feels like everybody's just trying to succeed over everybody else, essentially. You yeah. Know? And, and I think people are super nostalgic for the Soviet period. Well, I wonder how many people that aren't, you know, at the time in the 80s and when it all fell, like there must have been strain amongst those Eastern Bloc, like the old Yugoslavia yeah. and stuff like that that have broken off by then. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sure there wasn't as much unity as, as they remember in the no. Russian part. No, you know, I mean, I'm I think, sure the Kaz- Kazakhstanis yeah. were <laughs> right, exactly. wanted out. Right, the Estonians know? are not thinking, oh, I missed the Soviet days. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But the Russians do. Yeah, sure. You know, they do. And there's, and there's like now, oh my God, going across Russia, there were so many on this latest trip, so many like throwback bars, like the USSR pub. There's actually a picture on the back of my book with the USSR Like the old pub. cars and the old uh, yeah, propaganda there's posters. There's this very popular chain of, um, of cafeterias that's based on the Soviet, old Soviet cafeterias. And there's a big map of the Soviet Union. And there's like, you have the same like tin utensils and stuff that people mm-hmm. used to have. It's very extremely utilitarian, like just really like plain food. And people love it. And even young people who weren't even born during the Soviet era love it. It's I, just there's something about it. So. There's also a really popular thing they have now is the um, Museum of Soviet um, video games, oh. like video machines. Oh, my God. It's so great. <laughs> and you go in and you pay the like entrance fee. And I read they about give this you, somewhere. Yeah, they give you like a whole bunch of 10 Kopec coins, and then you <laughs> use those to play the games. And they're really fun, and they're like there's like sniper and submarine war, and you're always fighting the Americans or those hockey games and like all these different video games. It's really fun. it's such Where a fun this? way to spend. They have them all over the place. They have them in Novosibirsk. They have one in Kazan. They have them in Moscow, oh, fun. St. Petersburg. Yeah, they're really fun. So the first okay, now we're getting back to travel. Yes. So for the first time visitor uh, who wants to check out Russia, mm-hmm. and that would be me too. Mm-hmm. Say I got like two weeks. Yeah. Okay, what, where do I start? And what's the visa process now for Americans? I mean, if you... <laughs> this if week you, it could have changed. Yeah. If, <laughs> I if don't you know don't, anymore. I mean, I speak Russian, and so I, in the past, have just gone through businesses or... Like, actually, this most recent trip, I just went to a place in Burbank and was like, hey, I need to, mm-hmm. you know, go across Russia for three months, and, you know, what do I need to get? And they're like, all right, fill this form out, and it's actually not that hard. It's not that hard to get it. Okay. So I filled out the form, I, you know, paid him a check, and then I got... How much I actually got it? a... Um, well, I got a three-year multi-entry visa, oh, okay. and it cost three or four hundred bucks or something like that. But you can get a one-time, like hundred like, bucks or something. or something. Yeah, so uh, that's not that hard to do. Okay. And then you can just make your hotel arrangements online, obviously, buy your p- plane ticket, and bing, bang, boom! Like it's it's super easy. So for um, non-Russian speakers, mm-hmm. how what kind of difficulties would we? Yeah. What well, do you recommend? If you're if you're going to Moscow and St. Petersburg, you're not going to have that many difficulties, honestly, because there are enough people there who speak English. There's a lot of yeah. tourists who are there. And the hotels know. will speak. The it hotels, and stuff, yeah, right? exactly. So you'll be able to get around, you'll be able to do the things that you need to do in those two cities for sure. Um I mean it depends on how adventurous you are, it depends on how far flung you want to go. Um, there are other places you could visit where there wouldn't be that many people mm-hmm. speaking English. I think if you are planning to go on a trip to Russia, one of the things you can do to make it easier on yourself is learn the, the Cyrillic alphabet. That's what it would Actually, be tougher, it's, yeah. not hard, it's not that hard to do, though, really. It's pretty straightforward. Like some of the, 
it's, it's really not that difficult to do. So if you just spend a little bit of time with the Cyrillic alphabet, you'll be able to sound out things. You can easily make out the word bar or, or restaurant. restaurant. Yeah. It literally, the, the Russian word for restaurant is restaurant. And it looks like, <laughs> it looks like pectopa. Like if you look at it and if you were, if you were reading it, if, if the letters were English letters, it looks like it says pectopa. It's very easy to find those kinds of places. But again, in like Moscow, St. Petersburg, if yeah. you, especially if you're in the center, you're not going to have any trouble. So after those two cities, where yes. do I go with my the rest of my time? Where should you, I hit? What are the must sees? Well, if you if you like, there's so much to see in Moscow and St. Petersburg that I would say if you have two weeks, stick to those two. Stick to those two, and then maybe there's one other place. I totally recommend Kazan, which is like an oh probably I don't know maybe a day long train trip or easier probably just to. Well, there's a big. I'm a I'm a yeah, soccer fan, so there's a big fly. football team there. So Ruben Kazan. Kazan is this amazing place. It's the capital of Tatarstan, and so it's there's a lot of Muslim people. Like the Tatars are Muslim, mm-hmm. um, and they're you know. It's just such a fascinating culture. But one of the things that I love about that city is there's an ancient Russian Kremlin. So Kremlin is actually a word for – it's like a fortress. It's not just the Kremlin in Moscow. There's a lot of Kremlins in different towns in Russia. And this one has a beautiful Kremlin. And inside the Kremlin walls, there's a huge mosque. And they had rebuilt it. It had been torn down. And they've rebuilt this mosque. And it's just – it's such a fantastic site. And it's where – it's at the confluence of two rivers – and the downtown area is right near there. And it's just a spectacularly cool place to wander around. Did you ever make it to these resort areas like where they had the Winter Olympics with Sochi? I think no. It was, and... No, that's one funny thing about this trip is that I just did the same cities each time. There's 11 cities that I went to and that was it. Like I've not gone off the beaten path from, you know, from those places. Were you taking the train between or was this a driving thing? Train. Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend trying to drive. <laughs> it's too far... And the roads are not great, and, and it's like just for safety's sake. Yeah. And the train is actually super relaxing. It's really nice. And clean and Yeah, safe. you know, it's there are different trains. Like if you pay a little bit more, you get a train. This is a little tip that I learned on this trip where it's like the, the lower the number, the better the train is. So if you get a, if you book a ticket on a train that starts with a one, like train number 100, that's a nicer train than the book to book number 789 or something. <laughs> so you're going to be like the best way to do it is to book a second class ticket. It's called coupe and they have four beds per compartment. And so you're sharing it with strangers, which is a little weird, but you know, I mean, I've done it so many times across so many years and I really have not had trouble. When you see other tourists there, who, where are most of them from? Are they Europeans? Or are they Chinese? Uh, there's or? a lot of Chinese, particularly mm-hmm. depending on where you are. So I started in Vladivostok, so there's oh, tons yeah. of Chinese and Out Japanese. East, sure. Yeah, and now they have the cruise ships coming into Vladivostok, well, and yeah, no, yeah. St. Petersburg is a huge cruise yeah, ship. Yeah, St. Petersburg is huge, huge cruise ship. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of people coming, and also you talk about when a good time to go is. I mean, the ruble's not very strong right now. So everything, I mean, when I went in September of 2015, the ruble was worth only half of what it had been in, in January of 2014. Wow. So everything cost half price for me, what it would have if I had gone in January of 2014. It dropped off quick. It I remember when it fell. Cliff. Yeah. It, it was like within a two month period. It was, it, was, it was down in the toilet. It was 33 rubles to the dollar in January of 2014, and then 67 rubles to the dollar in September of 2015. So 
I was staying at really nice hotels for not very much money. Like everything just didn't cost me very much money. Has it come back a little bit? It I mean, has come back a little bit. I think it's in the 50s right now. I did hear about Moscow that it was expensive, one of the most expensive cities. I mean, it is to visit. and it isn't. It's, I, I've always been confused by that because there was that period of time where it was like, it's the most expensive city in the world. But honestly, like you can find tons of great restaurants to go to that are not tremendously expensive. And, you know, I stayed at a really lovely hotel in one of the nicest neighborhoods in Moscow. In central Moscow, you can walk easily to Red Square. And it was, I don't know, like 60 or 70 bucks a night. I mean, you can stay That's there. great. Yeah. So if we're looking for accommodation, you say it would be best to stay toward, like, in the center, like around. Totally. You can walk to Red yes. Square and stuff? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How are the, uh, they got a big subway system too, right? Huge yeah. subway system. And it's worth, you know, I mean, you talk about how much time should you spend in each place. I mean, you could spend a, a day wandering around in the Moscow subway and seeing these subway stations because they're fantastic. They're like museums. They're beautiful sculptures and beautiful paintings and mosaics. They're just absolutely stunningly beautiful. Oh, yeah. well, now let's get to the food. Okay, now to the food. Now to Your the food. Your least favorite bit. Well, no, yes. well, let's see. All right, okay. I, I want you to change my mind. Okay, all right. Uh, give me your favorite thing you, you eat there. When you go back, what's the first thing you want to eat? I love to eat pelmeni, which is basically Russian. It's like Siberian dumplings. Okay. They're just, they're like dough, and inside there's meat. And you oh, kind of like the Polish. Sour cream. Uh, yeah. Like a, okay. Yeah. yeah. I just love those because it's like Russian comfort food to mm-hmm. me. You know, and and I like. I mean, look, if you are a person who's trying to avoid starches, Russia is going to be a really tough go for you. <laughs> How about or for if, vegetarians? If you're a vegetarian, also yeah. very tough go. Yeah, yeah. This is not a culture that. Or if you're sober. You know, <laughs> and if you're sober, yeah, exactly. It's a bunch of stuff that's really bad for you. Who's that? Andy um, Bourdain said, "Is like I don't care." He has a famous quote that I don't care how tough you think you are, any Russian can drink you under the table. That is also true. Yeah. <laughs> how are you with vodka? I've had a lot of it. <laughs> you can I've handle it well? Is that kind of like... You know, it's funny. When you walk into someone's home, do they offer you that like, oh, it's, right off the people bat? Are always, yeah, they're always wanting to have a drink with you, and it's the best thing. And I have to say, on the first trip, I remember there was some point at which Gary and I, we were in like the ninth city, and these people were having us drink with them. And we were so... I think we were probably hung over from like the previous city and, but you just, you can't say no, you know, it's like here, I'm going to drink, let's drink to the, you know, friendship between our peoples and let's drink to our, you know, I don't know. It, it just was, it's very hard to say no. It's very hard to say no. But, and I didn't actually realize, I hadn't thought about how much I had to drink on these, all of these trips <laughs> until my editor, after she read the full draft was like, wow, like you are really, you, uh, I'm glad that you're getting a little break for your liver. How so. about how about in terms now of um, of uh, gay rights or anything like that? We heard of uh, yeah, so people you know, getting jailed or whatever. Well, so the 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 problem with gay rights right now in Russia is there was this law that was passed in 2013 that outlaws um, propagandizing of a of sexual minority lifestyles to minors, and that can mean anything like yeah. that can mean you're talking about it or you're writing about it or you have a picture of you and your girlfriend or your boyfriend on your desk at work like it can be interpreted in any way and i think it was purposefully left broad like that so the the effect is that it's like it's a nationwide don't ask don't tell like if nobody knows you're gay or you don't go around talking about it then fine you know you'll be left alone in theory anyway but it's it's a really odious law. It's really horrendous. But I will say, like in my case, you know, when I did the third trip, I made a decision that I was not going to lie about who who I am. I'm married now, um, and I just thought I don't want to 
claim I'm not married or say I'm married to a guy. If people ask, I'm going to tell them. Um, and so I was nervous about it, but what I discovered was each person I told really almost every single person said some variation of the same thing, which was, I'm okay with this, but don't tell anybody else. Right. right. So like you get the whole country basically saying like, it's okay. Like I don't, I, I, I honestly think most Russians don't care, but they are very uncomfortable when people are out and proud about it. That, that makes people very uncomfortable. So that of course in itself is a form of homophobia, but I was, I was surprised and kind of pleasantly surprised that people responded relatively well. And again, they've known me for 20 years. I've been dropping in on them for 20 years. And so I'm not a total stranger to them, but you know, for the most part, people were pretty chill about it. Is it, is the no smile order still in effect? The no smile order. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> I went on a hike with uh, this woman in, in uh, Vladivostok and I had just, you know, it was like my third day in Russia and we were hiking and every time somebody would pass us coming in the other direction, I would just whisper to her and say, I just want to say hello. I just want to say hello. <laughs> and she just laughed and was like, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> well, back to food. How were they on desserts and uh, the chocolates and everything? I think if you're looking for dessert in Russia, you probably should stick with the ice cream okay. because there's a lot of those kind of weirdo layered wet cakes that are, I think are kind of gross. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Weirdo layered you know, like, wet cakes. Yeah, those like wet cake. Like, yeah, the cakes, <laughs> the cakes are not to my liking, but boy, Russian ice cream. But decent cream. ice cream. Yeah, good ice cream, which okay. is funny in a place that's like so cold. Freezing? Yeah. 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 What was the, uh, do you always, always go in the summer? No, so I always leave on September 1st. Launch it on September first and go through the end of November. Oh, okay. So you, you do hit really, a little weather. Yeah, you can't really do a whole Russia trip without hitting some cold weather. That's right. cheating. That's cheating. <laughs> That's cheating. Yeah. So starting out, like Vladivostok and Birbijan were hot. They were really, really warm and sunny and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I got to Lake Baikal, it was getting kind of chilly. And then by the time I got to Moscow, it was cold and there was snow. So when did the book come out? When it came out it? on January thirty first. Okay, of yeah. this year. Mm-hmm. So what? What kind of? Uh, Reaction you've been getting. Rapturous. People love it. It's such a good read. <laughs> the critics can't get the enough. The critics can't get enough. The feel-good book of the year, yeah. so they say. Everybody should go out and buy 16 <laughs> copies. Huge Yelp reviews. Yes, that's right. Um, so, I mean, have you uh, have people written you back and say, or like you've gotten... Some, the Russians, what do, you mean? No, anybody. Oh, what, anybody. What do, yeah, they, yeah, um, yeah, what do people respond to you get, find the most? You know, it's a lot of people say things like... Um, I didn't think I was going to be that interested in this, or I I didn't know all this stuff about the Russian people, but mm-hmm. I, I think it's kind of eye-opening for them. Because I do, I just think if you ask random Americans, a lot of them will say they're really, they don't smile very much, they don't seem very happy, and yeah. I totally like, understand ev- why Everything I said right today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's totally understandable why yeah. people think that. But I, I like, but I, you know, I'm keeping is, an open mind. Yeah, but you the know, reality You've is, turned me around. Not, yeah, it's real. And, and honestly, like, if you read, there's so many funny stories in there. Like, I, you know, this couple that I go and stay with in Ulan Day, they are just as goofy as hell, and they're so funny, and they just make me laugh. There was this one, the woman, her name is Sveta, and she's actually a banker. 
And she's like so put together. She has like perfectly plucked eyebrows and beautiful, this beautiful blonde hair that's always just so. And she just cracks me up because she does cupping therapy. Do you know what cupping yeah, therapy yeah. is? So she does this. It's where you have those glass cups and then you put them on your skin. And so, you know, we were drinking one night and she was like, oh, look, I can like put this cup on my forehead and like it looks like I'm a unicorn basically. And she's doing this. And her <laughs> husband's like, Sveta, stop. You're going to have a bruise and everybody's going to think I did it. And then she, and then they wanted me to teach them poker, Texas Hold'em, because they had decided that this was a game they wanted to play. Okay. Because they had taken up billiards. Sure. And they were playing like eight hours a day, and then Sveta's back started to hurt. So they said, oh, we need something where we can sit down. But we bought all these books, and we can't figure out how to play poker. <laughs> and so – and they had like the, you know, the silver like briefcase with all the nice chips, right. you know. You always see Russians at those tournaments. Pardon? You always see Russians at those poker tournaments. Yeah, so they were like, all right, this should be fun. They're so, good at math. But they couldn't figure out from like <laughs> reading the books, right? So then it was – and it was one of the first things that they said to me when I arrived at their house. And they're like, hey, can you teach us how to play poker? <laughs> so we had these epic poker nights where Are we you a pretty play. good player? I, I love to play poker. Oh, okay. Yes, there I'm a you pretty go. good player, but I'll tell you something. Sveta kicked my ass. Really? She took all our money two <laughs> nights in a row. Well, Russians got that built-in poker face. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> just true. They do. That's right. Right. There's no emotion they there. They're, they're perfect they for the do. game. They do. And they're great at math and figuring yeah. it out. And it's like, yeah. boy, they're, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't want to go up against I'm them. I'm telling you, man. Sveta, Sveta took all my money. So now they're going to go to uh, Macau yeah, that's right, and Vegas. And... That's right. Yeah, Next that's stop. Funny. Next stop. Yeah. But there's, just, there's a lot of stuff like that. There's a lot of goofy, funny moments. There's a lot of fun stuff that happened. Have the people in the book... Did you send them copies? And uh, you... I haven't. I'm I'm sending some to some of them through a friend of mine who's actually going over there. It's very difficult to send things by mail, and it's you never know if it's going to arrive. And so I haven't put any in the mail to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have a friend who's carrying some over. For me, oh, that's so, great. Yeah. I mean, can can they do an online version, or can our listeners do an online? Uh... Um, I think. I mean, you can buy a Kindle version. I don't know if it's yeah. An audio. You're going to read it? I want to, but I can't get Audible interested in it. Unfortunately, I don't know what's going on with that, Aww. but I'm trying to get a I'm trying to get a deal from them to do it because I really want to do. I've had so many people ask me for it yeah. and then I don't I don't have one. So. And you have a nice voice. You could Yeah, see, you I speak do it. well. Oh, thank you very much. Yes. Yes. <laughs> According to my what I'm hearing in my headphones yeah. right now. No, I would really love to have one. And I actually I was asked by a Russian publisher about publishing it in Russia. Oh yeah. And I and I actually declined because I didn't because I thought that was kind of I mean, all of these people spoke very openly to me with the with the understanding it was for an American audience. And so I thought, well that'd be weird to suddenly like pull the bait and switch and be like, yeah. Okay, now you can all your neighbors can go and buy the book down the street from you and it just seemed weird. It seemed weird. Yeah, so there's not nobody, a- nobody said or did anything that would be like, you know, that would be so terrible, but it just didn't seem just right. didn't seem fair. So. so it's not a Russian uh, promotional tour no. planned? No. No, no. Oh, come on. Do all the TV shows. I know, right? I got requests for that, too, but I turned those Oh, really? Yeah. To do interview? For Russians, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. How is your Russian these days? Are you keeping it up? It's pretty good, you know. <laughs> it's funny because it was really, really rusty before I did the trip. And so I thought, well, how am I going to get like back to where I can, you know, if I'm going to interview people, I need to get it back in shape. And so I realized, oh, I live in West Hollywood. I was going to say There's that. You live in West Hollywood. There's a million Russians living in West Hollywood. That's, you're so living I, the perfect place. I volunteered down at Plummer Park the whole summer before I went. And I would go down to Plummer and Park. And the old men playing chess there? Yeah, it's like old men and old ladies. It's the Jewish family services yes. that I volunteered for. And so it was all perfect. these older Russian Jewish people. And I got to know them. There was a couple of, of older women that I got to know. And we got friendly. And I would go to their houses and hang out and like have tea and just chat. Well, I used to live in West Hollywood. And I always wondered... 
how how they got there and that was there must have been one like church or something that was instrumental guess, like in the 80s yeah. bringing people over i don't know why west hollywood in particular i yeah. guess like yeah i don't know it's funny but there's that whole neighborhood right along there, like along Fairfax, where there's all the like canters and the Jewish yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. And maybe that predates when the Russian Jews were coming over. Okay. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So no, already, oh, so that already, does for sure. Yeah. So there's already a Jewish community there. And so that's where they then would end up coming. Yeah. Still. But these were like later Russians. But I used to live because I used to live on Norton right yeah. there, right? Yeah, kind of yeah, by yeah. the Astroburger. Yep. And uh, there was total Russian mob across the street from me. Oh, boy. And these guys were hilarious. because oh, they Because they all lived in these, like, small apartments, uh-huh. like rent-controlled apartments. But they'd pull up in, like, the $80,000 Mercedes. <laughs> and they would hang out, like, all day. And, and there was so much, like, Goodfellas. Like, they, but except they were Russian, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the track suits and the gold chains. That's and it was, it was hilarious. But, yeah, there would just be in these little tiny apartments, but these amazing cars they would just it was just kind of mm-hmm. and they just didn't seem to work that yeah. much just kind of hanging oh, out that's funny all day but all those like russian businesses i was kind of like always wondering what's going on in there yeah i'd walk by in there i can't tell you know there's so many of those little delis they're they're yeah. really cute you can get a lot of good you can get good caviar stuff you can yeah. get your caviar absolutely you can get caviar your different vodkas yeah so do you do you go there and practice no, um, I don't. I don't go there in practice, but I go there. I, I every year. So May 9th is a huge holiday in Russia because it's the end of World War II in Europe, okay. and that was obviously a huge, a huge deal for them for obvious reasons. And so it's a very big holiday in Russia. And so every year I throw a party on May 9th, and I have like different vodkas, and then I go, I go to these little delis. And I get all this Russian food. And so then I speak, you know, with the people and I say, wish them a happy holiday and all that. And they're, you know, so it's kind of nice. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering about that, about the, the Russian community there and just how it got yeah. into also like, you know, the gayest part of L.A. Yeah, you know, I know, It just seems right? like an odd so mix. there you go. And I'm See, sure West Hollywood, one... it's a perfect place yeah. for me to live. And I'm sure there's... The Russians, <laughs> it is. The it really Russians is. That's why gays. when yeah. you said that, I was like, oh, yeah. of course you would live there. That's right. It's awesome. Yeah. So did you, did you find like one good... Uh, Deli uh, or like a bakery place you could recommend? Yeah, like oh, there's pastries. a couple places. Yeah, there's the, the Odessa. For your wet cakes. The Odessa Deli is nice. Yeah, the wet cakes. Oy. Yeah, how many yeah, of them are Russians and how many are Ukrainians? Because there's a big Ukrainian group there, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. I think there's more Russians than Ukrainians, but... Because my grandfather came over from Odessa. Yeah. But I couldn't, I don't know if he was from there or that's just where he right. caught the boat and he was chased out of the rest of it. Hard to, hard to know. <laughs> I yeah. remember. Hard to know. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't I haven't dug back that deep. Yeah. So I'm a quarter Russian. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. Dude, you got to go there. I know. You got to go there. This is what I would say, though. I would say to people, don't be afraid to go there. It is really, particularly St. Petersburg, it's my absolute all-time favorite city. Well, I heard I that. It's it cool. It's That's, so good. Yeah. It's really worth going. And it's cheap right now, so. What's that big, famous hotel there? It's like a big wooden hotel that all world leaders used to stay in. And There's the Saint- Astoria. Is Maybe the Astoria? that's it. Because yeah. I saw like some 60-minute story on it yeah. that it, after it opened up to outside, you yeah. know, to the West. Well, very famously, the Astoria Hotel, supposedly um, Adolf Hitler had already had printed invitations to his victory party for, wow. you know, for, for conquering Russia, conquering the Soviet Union in the Second mm. World War. And uh, obviously that didn't go that the didn't way he thought. didn't work out. Yeah. Yeah, no. And then we talk Note about... Note to self, don't invade Russia in the oh. winter or ever. What a what a dumb idea that was on his part. <laughs> yeah, he had a lot of dumb ideas. Thank God, thank God he had that dumb idea. No kidding, really. Like that but, uh, was two fronts, and and that's like you know, I mean, honestly, we we fought in the Second World War, but we did not fight like Russia fought. No, like, the Russians lost like I mean, twenty Russians million were, people. Yes, yeah, we lost like uh, yeah. you know under a million, I think. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, it's really so. It's it's that's one of the reasons I actually throw that party every year is because I feel like we we in the U.S. don't really appreciate that or understand that or we're not really even taught that. I think, and so it's just worth remembering that that was you know a that we were on the same side and b that there was this incredible sacrifice on the part of the Soviet, oh Soviet my God. Union during that war. I can't imagine. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy oh. to think about. I got to interview actually one of the things I got to do on, in St. Petersburg and the last stop of the first trip. Um, you know, we were back, I was actually living there. And so I had this friend, um, this guy named um, Boris and his great grandmother was still living and she was 98. And he said, would you like to interview her? And I said, oh my God, I would totally love to interview her. And so the final story was this five generation story where I interviewed her and she told me about what it was like to grow up in the czarist era and what it was like to live through the revolution and the first world war. And then her daughter, Boris's um, grandmother told me about what it was like to fight in the Second World War in Leningrad, which of course had the blockade. Yeah. And then her um, uh, uh, stepdaughter, not stepdaughter, her um, daughter-in-law, who was my friend Boris's mom, talked about what it was like to be a schoolgirl when Gagarin went into space and what it was like to be alive and like growing up during that whole period. Yeah. And then my friend Boris, who was my age, a little bit younger, talked about what it was like to grow up during the Gorbachev era and Glasnost and Perestroika. And then the final generation was the six-year-old kid in 1995. And we did this beautiful picture of him with his great, great grandmother. She's 98 and he's six years old, right? So then think about it. In, 19, in 2015, I came back through, and I, and of course, the grandmother had been dead for a long time, but I interviewed this kid who's now 26, speaks English fluently. He actually was living, he had been going to school in Italy, um, and so I did a Skype interview with him. And he's just this incredibly impressive kid. Like, he's just I a mean, wow. kid. He's 26, you know? It's 100 years of Russian history right yeah. there. Yeah, in one fa- yeah. That's a book yeah. in themselves, that yeah. whole family. Well, that's, yeah, it's, that's the final chapter of my book is about, is like all the interviews I did with all of them. And then just because I think you do, like to understand the Russian people, you have to understand that history. Oh, my God. So the great-grandmother yeah. remembers the czar. Yeah. That's She crazy. talks about growing up. She talked about when the revolution came and how, like you know, how like stunned her whole family was. And then she got married to this guy and he went off to fight in the first world war. And she was really young when she got married and he came back from the war and he was injured. And she was like, he just seemed like a really old man. You yeah. Know, just like fascinating. And then he came back and then it was the revolution. And Jeez. so he was getting like harassed by the, by the Bolsheviks. Like, it's just this crazy. Oh my God. Yeah. Just this, like uh, just an amazing history an amazing, amazing history. And you think about that and, and you think about how few Americans have gone through anything like that, you know, yeah. there hasn't been a war on this shore. Exactly. I couldn't help it compare it because my great grandmother was still alive at that time in 1995. She was born in 1898. So she was just about the same age as this Russian great grandmother. And I couldn't help but compare, like, I mean, to think about living through all of these wars, the civil, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the revolution, the civil war, the first world war, the purges, oh my God, Stalin's purges and like people getting thrown in prison for essentially no reason. And then, you know, the second world war and then everything that happened and then comparing that to my great grandmother's experience who grew up and lived in South Carolina, never left South Carolina in her entire life. She never set foot outside of South Carolina. Yeah. And, you know, while we fought in wars, we didn't, like you say, we didn't fight in wars on our own soil at that point. And yeah. so just comparing the upheaval and the craziness of the of this Russian woman's life compared with my own great-grandmother's was really, really eye-opening. I know you go to these countries, and uh, I try to describe it to Americans here and say, we're a very young country. Yeah. You know, this is a big test. Yeah. It's a big experiment. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've toured, 
I remember touring a castle somewhere in Europe, and I said, well, how long did the family who ruled this entire, how long did they live here? How long did they rule? And I remember saying like 400 years. Yeah. Now, how many generations is that? Especially yeah. when people were lucky to live to 40, mm-hmm. that they figured this is the way it was always going to be. Yeah. And to know just, you know, one day you wake up, oh, it's a different, yeah. it's all, everything you've known is different. Yeah. We're called something different. There's a new money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's... Well, and think about it too, 400 years, that's 150 years longer than the United yes. States has existed. If, uh, yeah. yeah. And assuming, just like Americans think, oh, this, like, yeah. how could we not have democracy? Well, you know, stick around. It's still, it's yeah. still new. No, it's still to, new. We have you to know? be careful with it. Yeah. yeah and sure. as the middle class shrinks yeah. and the poor always outnumber the wealthy, you know, that's, that's how communism starts. You yeah. know, the poor have enough and then they, they can't take it anymore. And then, you know, you start yeah. throwing bricks through windows. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a great experiment. Yep. But we can learn something from history. I, I would hope. That's true. Let's hope we do. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the book. All right. uh, so where people can get it. And, uh, I guess it's on Amazon, I assume. Yeah, it's on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, like any of the online retailers. You can also get it at pretty much most bookstores. I mean, it's available. Barnes & Noble and independent bookstores and stuff should have it. Okay, and then what about social media? Where can people follow you? Oh, where can people follow me? Um, You can follow me on Twitter at Lisa Writes Books. Um, (laughs) Or I I had to think about it because I have have another thing. I'm on um, Facebook. You can uh, Lisa Dickey Author. There, um, so those are the two places you can find me. Okay. Oh, and I have a website, lisadickey.com, and you can find me there. And you can also find an email address if you feel like sending me an email. Okay. So there's be links to all this on uh, our website at traveltalespodcast.com. Go there. You can see uh, Lisa's photos. Yeah. Of her and throughout <laughs> Russia. You see a picture of me in 1995, age 28, with my big round glasses. Adorable glasses. <laughs> with Gary. And we look exhausted because it's at the very end of the trip. You look kind of post-family ties. It was oh, kind of, God. It was kind of a, yeah, maybe a little friends thing happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But those are great photos. Oh, and then a picture of my mom. And your There's mom there in 76. 1976 and her, like, all her 1970s glory oh, on Red Square. So 76. Yep. That, yep. Shot. And then a picture of me trying to recreate her pose 40 years <laughs> later, 39 years later. Yeah. Oh, man. So is your mom still yeah, with us? What she does she is. think of the book? She loves it. She loves I'm it. I'm sure. Yeah. She was really, it's funny because I said to her, I was like, hey, mom, I'm putting this picture of you in my book. And she was like, what? And then I put it on my website and she thought that was kind of funny. But yeah. And my dad's still around. And they actually, uh, when I lived in St. Petersburg in the mid 90s, they both came to come visit. So it was my dad's first time. Your dad finally went. He finally got to go. Yeah. And what did he think? He loved it. You know, he lo- you know they're both, they just love to travel. They're just curious people, you know, they mm-hmm. just like going places. So. Okay. Well, finally, yeah. what's your next travel? And uh, where you want to go next? So I have two two places in mind. I'm going to go to London because I haven't been there in a while. Um, but, Love London, uh, but I've been there several times. So the more the more interesting place I'm going to be going is Abu Dhabi. Wow! I have a couple of friends who are living and working there right now, and I'm I'm so excited to go see Abu Dhabi and go spend some time in the Middle East because I haven't really done that. So. Yeah, never really been. Yeah. What do you want people to take away from not only the book and what? How has travel changed you as a person? And how you view the I would world. say from the book, I just think that, um, you know, when, when we in America talk about Russia, 
we just talk constantly about Putin, Putin and politics, and that's all we pay attention to. And I just think, you know, with the book, I hope that people can look at it and understand that there's a lot more to Russia than that, that it just goes a lot deeper than that. And it's worth understanding who the people are and what they've been through in order to understand why they have the government that they do and, and, and why a guy like Putin is so popular. Um, travel, I mean, honestly, like travel to me is just, you learn so much, not only about the cultures that you go to, but about yourself when you go. And I'm so grateful that when I was young, you know, we lived, you know, overseas and my parents would just load us into the car and be like, okay, here we go. We're just going to go see this just because it's a cool thing to do. And I, and I just really value that. It's really, I think it's just great to just pile into a car and go somewhere just for the sake of seeing something. Well, I appreciate you coming here and yeah. doing this. This is awesome. Thanks, Mike. You've changed my opinions. <laughs> Good. Now I want you to go to Russia. I'm going to go. You, think. you yeah. know I'm going to go. I got to yeah. go. It's on, it's, it's on my list. Okay. Cool. I'll, it just moved up higher on the All list. All right. Good. I like that. That's great. <laughs> and I'm going to like get some names from you next time okay. I go. Perfect. And some uh, recommendations. Yeah, I'll make some recommendations okay. for you. Okay. Right, good. good. Well, thank you for doing this. All this right. is awesome. Lisa Dickey, everyone. Buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> 